The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is your newscast for episode 87 for the week of October 8th. Alex, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How are you, Rob? Doing fantastic. Ready to dive into one fantastic podcast today. Spent all weekend at a soccer tournament. Fun stuff. Being it, out in the cold. It's a little chilly. I, yeah, it was, it was awesome out there. Gotta yeah, love it. I had a couple of uh, soccer games today myself. and uh, Definitely, definitely uh, the, earlier in the day it was warm. Later in the day, put, put on a sweater. Exactly. All right, well, let's go through, through some housekeeping here. As a reminder, we have a Slack channel. We're just a few people away from hitting that magic 600 member mark. Yeah, that is, you know, what everyone thinks of as the magic number right. 600. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just about there. If we get one or two more people, that'll be great. Uh, magic will happen. Yeah. Uh, we also have a mailing list. Yeah. If you go out to our website, check out the mailing list. You'll get the show notes in the mail. And that website is colorado-security.com. Uh, we'd also love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and rate us on your favorite podcast application. Uh, also, if you really, really like us, uh, please support us through our Patreon campaign. You can find more details on that about on the website as well. Um, if, if you he, like us a little bit less <laughs> or you don't have a lot of money sitting around, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Then you can tell a friend yeah. how much this uh, you love the podcast and you know that they should listen. Yeah. Help us get some more listeners. We'd love that too. All right. With that, uh, we do have a new patron, Patreon to, to thank. Uh, this is Justin over at Cyber Reason. Justin, thank you very much for your sponsorship. And of course, thanks to Cyber Reason, who I, who I believe is footing the bill for this. We, we appreciate your guys' help. Yeah. Um, and you too can get a shout out of the show and a free t-shirt if you support us at the $10 a month level. Awesome. Hey, we have some news to talk about. News. Alex, uh, one of the big travesties of uh, the, this new technical world is the prevalence of selfies everywhere. You know, uh, we ha- we just see selfies. I was at a concert recently where I my, my view of the show was inhibited by people taking selfies. And apparently that's not the only bad thing that can happen because of a selfie. Yeah. You know, if you're not too careful, you might die. <laughs> So, so there's a story in the Denver Post this week that uh, in the last couple of years, uh, over 250 people have died taking a selfie. So just make sure you uh, you have some situ- situational awareness yeah. when you're taking your selfies. Um, don't fall off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, don't stand on railroad tracks with a train coming. Um, you know, don't stand in traffic, you know, other things like that, you know, sort of common sense kind of stuff when you're taking your selfies. If you are taking a selfie during the running of the bulls, Maybe stop that and look at the bulls. <laughs> yes, just, just some advice for you guys. Yes, uh, I think it it was a little funny in the article though. Uh, someone was quoted as saying um, that it has become a a major public health problem. Um, selfie deaths, that is. And I'm thinking of all of the things uh, that you, that you die from. 250 deaths in a year is really not that much. I don't know that I would call 250 deaths in a year a major health problem. But I will say it's more than 10 times as much as the number of people who die in shark attacks per year. So this is, is true. this is pretty serious stuff, it, Alex. It is serious. Let's keep, let's keep things in perspective. Let's do that. There's no movie as the theme for selfie death like there is for Jaws, right? <laughs> or uh, selfie NATO. So it's, <laughs> all right, let's move it along here. Uh, Denver has been named the fast fifth fastest growing big city in the u.s and also loveland and Greeley were among the fastest growing overall um so you'll have to bleep me out as i tell you what the number one city on the list was for the fastest growing big city 
What is it? It's big. <laughs> it's Austin. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Austin has uh, taken that number one spot on the list of big, fastest growing big cities. Miami, Florida, number two. That that one did surprise me. I didn't see Miami coming there. Uh, Seattle, Charlotte, and North Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Denver is number five. So um, some people may know um, I grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area, and if you go look at the list, uh, the number sixty six big city in terms of growth is Cleveland, which I believe is last of big cities in, in growth. So we're saying the 66th fastest grower or the slowest grower. Correct. Yes. The <laughs> okay. slowest growing big city. Let's call it the 66th fastest 66 grower. 66 fastest. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we actually have a, a little bit of bad news about the economy, Alex. This is a, this is maybe a first for us. We've had a couple of layoffs we've announced, but this is the first time we've talked about something like this, where Colorado executives are losing confidence in the economy. Yeah, so it's um, it's a little bit of bad news, and then it's sort of forward-looking. So it's not quite bad news yet. People think that there might be bad news coming. So executives were surveyed, and they thought that fourth quarter, still looking good for the economy, but they were feeling maybe first or second quarter next year, maybe not so hot. Yeah, well, hopefully that was them just trying to be optimistic about this year and you know think yeah, anything bad is going to come out way in the future, and we're not going to worry about That's that. That's right. I think some of it was uh, uncertainty around the midterm elections, you know, other things like that. Um, people just didn't necessarily know what was coming. So, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're wrong. And 2019 is a fantastic economic year. I hope so as well. Uh, next, uh, Richie May, which is an accounting firm here in town, um, acquired two IT consulting firms, Aero Partnership and Corporate Blue. Uh, so this is interesting to us, uh, especially because we, we know JT Gato, who is the head of their cybersecurity uh, services practice that w- so they they offer security services to financial companies uh, and he was part of this acquisition and, and going to be working with these new firms yeah and so corporate blue specifically was a cybersecurity firm i believe they were based out of la um so they acquired those guys to help uh, move that practice along and, and gain some more traction so congrats to them congrats to those guys yep uh big news alex this is this is big news big the global that's worldwide. Blockchain Summit is coming back to Denver for Blockchain Week. I'm not impressed unless it's the Universal Blockchain <laughs> Summit, Rob. Yeah, there is actually a bigger one happening on Jupiter, uh, which is to be expected. Yeah, but uh, that is pretty exciting. We have uh, the the Global Blockchain Summit happening here in Denver. Earlier this year, there was a big uh, Ethereum um, hackathon. So Colorado is showing that it is a, a central place for blockchain technology. Uh, and this is going to be happening in Golden. Uh, so if, you, if you're looking to, to go to this and maybe swing by the brewery and get a, get a Coors from the, from the tap, that might be a good fit for you. Or you could even go to Golden City Brewery, which was at least at one point the second largest brewery in Golden. Okay. So uh, next, the CTA Apex Awards named their finalists – um, and they're going to have their award ceremony on number, November 7th. So uh, as you heard last year, and I guess a little bit leading up this year when the, the nominations were open, uh, CTA's Apex Awards has a CISO of the Year category. So um, the nominate, nominees for this year are Debbie Blythe, the CISO for the state of, of Colorado, James Carter from Logarithm, and our own Rob Rack. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do have my name spelled uh, incorrectly in that, don't they? Well, you know, congrats to Rob Rack, whoever that guy is. Well, well, uh, I'm sure he'll be very pleased with the with the uh, nomination. Uh, next, um, more great news. Um, we were just talking about Logarithm, but uh, congrats to them, not only to James Carter, but they uh, got a patent for data processing technology. 
congratulations, congrats to them. It looks like this is a, obviously a patents are only when you have some interesting technology going on. Uh, we're going to have to see how they implement this in their product. If it already is implemented, I haven't heard of it, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that. Yeah, the title of it is Risk-Based Priority Processing of Data. Sounds pretty good. It, it does sound pretty good. So uh, Looking forward to those details. Good for them. Uh, next, we have a blog from Ping Identity around the Facebook data breach. So it's always nice when we have a local company talking about a national story so we can chat about it just a little bit. Uh, if you guys were aware, last week, um, Facebook was breached or they were announced a breach where you know there's a vulnerability in their application that allowed people to get tokens to access other users' accounts, about 50 million of them, it sounds like. Um, so, so this post is talking about how this kind of programmatic access probably happened over APIs. And you know, if you had some kind of security tool in place watching your APIs, it maybe would have been stopped. The most amazing thing for me on that breach uh, was that it was about a little over 2% of the Facebook users that were affected, right? right. So it's 50 million. 50 yeah. million, it is a little over 2% of all Facebook users. Yeah. It is amazing. I'd say as we're talking about that breach, um, you know, they, they, they had a CISO, Alex Stamos, who's, you know, a pretty well-known CSO over there, left in August. The the big announcement from Facebook when he left was, we don't think we need to replace, we, oh, we don't need to replace him. We're going to embed security in the business units. Uh, and then just a few weeks later, this thing comes out. It, it just couldn't look much worse for them from a from the perspective of taking se uh, security and privacy seriously. Yeah, I mean, and I think as we know, this is not the only instance that they have had around, you know, more around privacy than security. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not not so hot. For not them. so great. Uh, uh, there's, there's another ping blog here, and actually, this one is uh, is about a. Well, it's about the white papers. We talked about the white papers a little bit ago, but the reason this this blog post came out was uh, I was on I was featured on the Cyberwire, which is one of the podcasts I listen to every day. It's a, the afternoon drive podcast for me, just talking about the the Ping CISO Advisory Council that we have with our customers and some of the research we put out. Um, so it's a chance for if you guys are interested in reading what that research is all about, or you want to hear me on a different podcast talking to different people, uh, then there's your opportunity. Exactly. So congrats, Rob, for the white papers and being on the podcast. Uh, Alchemy Security, who is a security monitoring company here in town, um, note, uh, had a press release about their explan expanded cloud security portfolio with the Alchemy Defense Cloud. So they're still using Splunk. They're going to be using the Splunk cloud for this stuff. Uh, it looks like a really good offering. It's nice to see them moving in that area. Basically, you know, if, you're, if you have a cloud-first uh, approach, th they're going to be able to support that. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like with any other cloud technology, this allows them to expand and contract as they need to. Um, you know, they can be a, a big player without having to put in uh, the resources you might need to, to set up a giant infrastructure. So good for them. Yep. Uh, so next is we have a blog post from Logarithm about insecure FTP transfers and SCADA environments. This is uh, Keith Buswell, who is an engineer over there, talking about how you monitor your vendors who are monitoring your SCADA systems. Interesting question. And you know, I know you have some oil and gas background. I'm curious if this resonated with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Part of it was just looking a little bit deeper at what's going on on your network, in this case, on your SCADA network. Um, they were sort of challenging some assumptions that, oh, you know, well, FTP, that, that seems like it should be legitimate traffic, but it was, you know, well, let's look deeper. What is this, uh, this traffic doing? You know, what else is going along with this FTP traffic? So uh, interesting read there. Um, definitely check out that blog post. Uh, next, we had a blog from Red Canary um, about uh, attacking the Mac. So this is looking for uh, post-exploitation in Mac OS. 
So unfortunately, what they're saying here in this blog post is that Max can be compromised. So I actually need to pause here, go back to work, and do a little bit of little work on securing those Macs, Mac endpoint devices. Yeah, they you know start out the article talking a little uh, you know tongue in cheek about how uh, you know everyone says that Macs can't be hacked, and so you know this blog post isn't going to talk about that because it's impossible. Um, but it's really you know some interesting things. You hear a lot about post exploitation, uh, lateral movement, other things like that on Windows hosts. So it is interesting to read about the techniques that you could use to do something similar on the back. Uh, I, I really think it's interesting. If you do run an environment that has Macs in it, you should take a look at this. Uh, of course, looking to stop exploitation is great, but of course, being able to detect it is probably even better because no matter what we do, we're going to need to be able to detect bad stuff after they get through. Exactly. Uh, next, uh, ProtectWise, this wasn't actually an article, but we did see an SEC filing uh, that ProtectWise raised another uh, $5 million in funding uh, previously, they had been through their B round of funding, and I think they've raised a, 77, million. 77 million yeah. so far. Um, uh, so we, as we looked at it, you know, we don't know what's going on here exactly, but, you know, we, we could conjecture that, uh, you know, this is either part of a new round or the, the tail end of the other round or something in between that, that looks like they're raising the, the filing. And, and, you know, to be fair, I don't understand how to read these filings real right. well. Uh, the filing says it, they, they checked the boxes for both. Uh, debt and equity. So does that mean that it's a loan from a bank or it's actually new equity issued or it's a combination of both? I'm not sure. But anyway, they, they raised five more million uh, and, and presumably that's good for them to have some more capital to keep operating. All right. Uh, and then our final story here this week is that Rule 4 has launched. Rule 4, uh, this is a new company. Um, if you guys remember, was it just a couple months ago, we had Trent Hine on the show as a feature interview. Trent was one of the founders of Applied Trust, and Trent is one of the founders of this new company as well. Yeah, so they're doing uh, some consulting, some of it security-related, some of it not security-related, uh, some of it related to DevOps and you know, sort of forward-looking technologies. So it's interesting to see you know what they're coming out with and, and what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, I, this is. It looks to me like they really kind of rebooted the idea of what they've done with uh, with Applied Trust, but really rebooted it with the new technologies in mind. So if you you know if you're looking for security consulting, but someone who can also help you get into you know IoT, uh, blockchain, all all the new stuff, they're right. That's where they're positioning themselves. Yeah, I noticed that they have a, a service around site reliability engineering. You know, so if you are big into DevOps and you need some consulting around that area, um, seems to make sense. So congrats to them. Yeah, absolutely. Look for big stuff. So that's it for the news. Let's uh, go, go over to our Slack message of the week. So first of all, thanks to Andre Gaeta, who is our sponsor. Andre, we appreciate you doing this for us. Uh, and this week, we who are we going to be uh, recognizing? So for this week's Slack message of the week, we want to give it to Lunar. So I'm not sure exactly who Lunar is. Uh, it is apparently a pseudonym. Um, but uh, Lunar was the first one to po uh, post this week on the Bloomberg story about the super micro motherboards and the extra chip, yeah. you know, potentially infecting Amazon and Apple and some other folks. And that conversation took over the Slack channel for a day and it took over my, my life for yeah. that same day outside of the Slack channel as well. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, There's a lot in of stuff a going bad on way. Yeah. Pretty cool in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks to Lunar. Of course you will get to choose something from the Colorado equal security store with a value up to $25. We'll get you a note and you can let Andre Gated know what it is and he'll get that sent over to you. So once again, congratulations and thank you. So let's move over to events. First event that we have this week, SecureSet is doing one of their hacking 101s. Uh, this is asset management with Matthew McDonald. 
I'm not sure how that's a hacking one. I'm a little bit, a little bit. I don't know. And that thrown off. That's it. That's throwing me for a curve right now. And I did not mention it. That is on the eighth. That is on the eighth. Um, and we also might want to mention we have a calendar of events. Oh, we do. That, that on the website, if you go to colorado-security.com, you go to the events page, you can see what's going on every day for the next several months. On the 8th and 9th is the big National Cybersecurity Center Cyber Symposium. This is your chance to go down to the Springs and have two days with big wigs and hobnob. And, and you'll probably be the smartest security person there because it sounds like they're not bringing a lot of security folks. It's really policy people and, and company executives that are going to be there. Uh, on the 9th and the 10th, ISSA Denver is doing their October chapter meetings. It's actually James Carter speaking this month. Oh, what's he uh, talking about? He is talking um, put you on the spot? about Zero Trust Networks. Oh, I love it. That's good. That's great stuff. You yep. guys should make it. Boulder will be the Tuesday for lunch. Uh, de- downtown Denver, Tuesday dinner. Uh, Wednesday lunch will be the Denver Tech Center. Uh, on the 10th as well, we have a cyber risk management event. And that's the one with Velo and Route 9B, right? I believe so. On the 11th, ISSA Colorado Springs is having a professional networking event. So if you want to network with professionals, go to that. So if you are not a professional, can you still go? Uh, That's a good question. Or do they pay you to be there? What does this mean exactly? Uh, It's a good question. And so on the 11th and 12th, there is is an invitation for you guys to participate in an industry event. Um, So the, the university... Uh, I think it's CU is doing a intelligent IOT symposium, two day event, go learn about intelligent IOT at this thing or contribute to intelligent IOT. One or the other, uh, on the 17th CTA is doing their CTA 101. Also on the 17th that we have the DenSec meeting downtown. That's going to be at the Wincoop this, this month. Uh, and that's usually about seven o'clock to nine o'clock. Uh, it's a great group of folks. If you haven't connected with them on the Slack channel, that's a good place to connect as well. On the 18th, SecureSet is doing one of their cybersecurity career convos. Elaine Marino um, of Equally and Lady Coders. That's on the 18th. And then finally, for our events, uh, there is the Global Blockchain Summit coming on the 19th of October. This is in Golden. We already mentioned it. So I think we've talked about blockchain enough. And that is, of course, as we mentioned, the lead up to the Universal Blockchain Summit. Which I assume will still be here in Denver. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. You know, Jeff Bezos is doing that. You know, get on one of his rockets and go off yeah. somewhere and have the... Yeah, is, anyway. Does Elon Musk rocket go faster than Jeff I Bezos? Know. Not either. Uh, so let's move on to jobs. I, I'd be happy to talk about the number one job on the list, which is the Ping Cloud Security Architect role. I am looking for someone who can help us with architecture in AWS. If you have good experience with AWS and your security... Uh, skills are strong. Give me a give me a note about this. And we'd be happy to talk about it. We also have lots of other great roles in Denver. If you see something else on the jobs page you're interested in, send me a note either through Slack or email, and I would be happy to get you connected with the hiring manager. Uh, next, Aegon is looking for a director of cybersecurity. This is Aegon from the Ghostbusters? Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to be the director of uh, security services for, uh, for the Ghostbusters, uh, look there. I don't know Aegon. Do you know anything about those guys? So Aegon is a global provider of pensions, insurance, and asset management. Well, that sounds like a good place to be a director of security. I think it probably would be. All right. So Kaiser Permanente is hiring a senior manager of cyber risk defense. Uh, Cognizant is also looking for a senior manager, but in cybersecurity architecture for their corporate services. Apple, the people who, you know, you probably heard of them. They made Macintosh computers back in the 80s. Um, they're hiring a security tools developer and engineer. That sounds really cool. 
Uh, Zayo Group is looking for a cybersecurity analyst three. Uh, finally. Been a lot of ones and twos, but we're, yep. we finally got a three. Good Moving on up. Uh, Digital Globe is hiring a security architect. Carbon Black is looking for a threat researcher. Dark Owl is hiring a threat intelligence analyst. Alchemy Security, who we mentioned earlier, is looking for a junior analyst on the night shift. This is a great opportunity for those who are looking to break in. A, a, a really good first job to get some experience hands-on with technology. Uh, and then Red Canary is hiring an account executive. So if you want to go sell Red Canary, this is a good chance. We've talked with Brian Bear multiple times on the show. and Including last week. Really like those guys. Uh, that is it for our news this week, Alex. I can't believe we finally made it through that. Jam-packed. It was a lot of news. A lot it of stuff was a lot on. of news. Uh, but don't go away because we have a feature interview with Dale Drew. Dale is the chief security officer at Zayo. He's hiring a, uh, what was that? I, I guess uh, he, the cybersecurity analyst three probably yeah, worked it. for Dale. Yeah. Uh, so Dale's hiring that cybersecurity analyst, but he previous to being at Zayo, he was the CISO at level three. He was a chief security strategist for CenturyLink. Uh, he has a great background. We got to talk about how he got to Colorado and what he's done to build some really world-class security programs. So it was a good interview. He's a sharp guy. Well, that's it for now, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Sam Massiello, Chief Information Security Officer at Gates Corporation. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is Rob Reck doing a feature interview today with Dale Drew. Dale, welcome. I know you are the new CISO over at Zayo. It's been about four months or so since you've been there. Um, I'm, yep. I'm excited to get to hear about your background, uh, what you did before Zayo, what you're doing at Zayo. But what I'm most interested in is understanding, um, tell me about this this regular invasion that you're getting at your house um, of some, some nighttime prowlers. Talk to me about this. Well, you know, it seems like the theme of physical security follows me wherever I go. But uh, uh, I just moved into a, a property about, about a year ago uh, in Arvada. Uh, it's about an acre or so. And it's right next to a creek. Sounds beautiful. And uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, there's 80 trees on the property, wow. and it's just it's, it's gorgeous. I love it. And so um, this family of five raccoons has been invading uh, the house uh, at night. And so it, and I've been having, I mean, just, just bare knuckle brawls with this family of raccoons. It's, it's been amazing. So the two most notable things are, um, they started out by invading my trash can. Sure. And I tried um, over the course of like a month different, different ways of protecting the trash can from yeah. keeping them from getting in. And uh, you know, I, I did I did the classic physical security approach. I put a barrier in front of the garbage cans. Yeah. Well, they climbed up the side of my house to get past the barrier to get on the trash so can. So they could drop in. Right. Uh, yeah. From, oh, from the top. Yeah, from the top. So that didn't work. Then I tried putting something heavy on the trash can, yeah. and they pulled the trash can out from they under the bottom and knocked it over. Okay. So very, very creative uh, little animals. Yeah. So I, I ended up having to uh, create like a like a four-point harness for the lid of the garbage can. So like belt and suspenders around the garbage can lid? Right. That was difficult enough for the raccoons to open, but easy enough for the garbage guys oh, yeah. to, <laughs> to open. <laughs> and so... So, uh, so I had a really small victory uh, there, and then um, what happened was I had a camera, I had a, 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 an Arlo uh, wireless uh, camera, yeah. pointing at the garbage cans, um, watching all of this unfold. And uh, when they couldn't get into the garbage can, um, they 
climbed up the side of my shed where the camera's uh, installed and took the camera and took off with it. What? <laughs> so I have this awesome video of this raccoon popping his head up in the camera view and then his mouth going over the, the lens of the camera and then running off with the camera. <laughs> so so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wireless camera, so it's battery operated and yeah. it's also wireless. And so, so you I'm, get to see it for quite a while. Um, so I'm watching this unfold. Yeah. And I go running out there, and uh, he drops it, and I have no idea where the camera is. So I had to, I had to get a live view with a flashlight and look for my flashlight on the live feed oh to <laughs> figure out where my camera was, um, and and retrieved it. But uh, so do you, have you now heart fastened down the camera as well? No. So I, I have it. I had it. In, I have it in a different spot that's difficult for them to climb up. Okay. Um, and uh, but they're not they're not in the garbage can anymore now. Now so, they're on the other side of the house trying to find uh, you know find insects and they're in my pond and and things like that. Are you ready but, to claim uh, victory at this point or not yet? So I'm I'm claiming victory from the standpoint they're not using my house as a food source anymore. And uh, I've been thinking about putting a little piece of ham closer and closer to my neighbor's house. <laughs> <laughs> but good uh, neighbors and good fences. And all that. Yeah. Wow. But uh, but no, they're they're they, they still make a pretty regular visit uh, to the house. Now now my goal is to keep them out of the attic. Yeah, that that's the that was my biggest fear when you mentioned this is is getting into the attic. It's awfully tough to to deal with that. Yeah, I've heard horror stories about like really significant damage to yeah. homes yeah. when that happened. So so yeah, I've I've got cameras sort of watching. You know, most yeah. of my camera systems are designed to keep an eye on the raccoons as opposed to, <laughs> like, uh, other actual threats. Well, you got to know your, th this is about threat modeling, yeah, right? Exactly. You got to know your threats, you know, <laughs> your th threat actors are, and we, yeah. maybe we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, on the bar chart of threats, the raccoons have a pretty significant uh, height, so. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, let's talk, a let's move into some other stuff. Uh, back me up, you know, where are you from? Oh, my. Um I'm from everywhere. I was uh, I was born in Spokane, Washington. My dad was uh, uh, in the Air Force, okay. so a bit of an Air Force brat. So we we moved around quite a bit. I mean, I moved around mostly on the um, uh, on the West Coast, uh, Midwest. Sure. So Idaho, Iowa, um, things like that. Uh, but uh, spent most of my time in uh, Cheyenne, uh, Wyoming. Hmm. So. Is that is your your childhood or your adult life? Oh no, childhood? my childhood. I mean, I yeah. after I graduated, I went to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And uh, and then shortly after that, took a job with uh, U.S. Secret Service. Oh, I didn't know you were in the Secret Service. Yeah. Did you have to go back to D.C. for that, or? Uh, so you go back to uh, so you go to Florida for training. Okay. Uh, Treasury has a has a, a training uh, department in Florida in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so yeah, I did my training in Florida, and then. Um, I opened up the uh, Secret Service's uh, first computer crime division. Really? Uh, out of Phoenix. So I, this this is really interesting. Before we get into what you did there, I'd like to know um, what kind of background or education did you have that kind of made you the right person to go into the Secret Service? <laughs> um, so, so my my interest in computer security started because my mother's checkbook was stolen when I was hmm. a kid. So I think it was in junior high, and uh, her her checkbook was stolen. And I was I was intent on finding out who it was. Yeah. And so I I launched a one man investigation. I went to uh, local police, went to the FBI. They were really not interested. I took the canceled checks from the bank. Um, went to the stores where the checks were canceled. 
uh, asked for uh, access to the video. I mm -hmm. got copies of the video from all the stores. Right. Uh, and was able to build uh, a relatively uh, compelling case on on uh, who it was. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually two people, um, husband and wife. Did but, you guys um, know these people? No. No, we had no idea. They, they just... They apparently went to our neighborhood and were going through people's mail, and uh, oh, they pulled it out of a just mailbox. so happens that uh, she had her checks delivered at the time yeah. that they went through it, and they, and they didn't actually take the box. They took. They were really smart. They took, um, just one uh, section of the checkbook right. what, out of the checks. Little, what, one of the little packets, right? Exactly. There. Yeah. So you know, I I built a case. We uh, presented it to uh, uh, law enforcement. Uh, yeah. They were able to uh, to positively identify the husband. From there, they got the wife, and, uh, and, so, I, and I got I got a letter of appreciation from the chief of police, and I was hooked. So you put together the case and, and presented it, and they were willing to go indict. And yeah. They, did they end up getting found guilty? And uh, they got they got charged. They got uh, I mean it was over it was over five thousand dollars in fraud. A thousand dollars was the minimum okay. at the time, but um, I don't I don't exactly remember what they were charged with, or whether yeah. it was a misdemeanor or a felony. Yeah, uh, I was just giving myself high fives on the yeah. fact that we caught him. And that's uh, amazing. How old yeah. were you? Uh, I was, um, I was in, I was either in ninth or tenth grade. Why? I mean, I was You're a little kid. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool to get to do that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so that got you hooked. You you ended up going to. What, what did you go to college for? Uh, so I went to uh, Devry. Yeah. Uh, and uh, focused specifically on, on a on a computer science degree. Yeah. Early so, on, it looks like in, in the computer science world too. Yeah. Um, did, and you, did your DeVry time overlap with Secret Service? Is yeah, I actually left. I actually left college to join the Secret Service. Okay. I got a really, really amazing opportunity at the Secret Service. Uh, they, uh, there was a lot of debate between the FBI and the Secret Service about who was going to be taking over computer crime investigations. Uh, Department of Treasury felt that that uh, it was financial fraud, and as a result, uh, they they should have purview and. Uh, their law enforcement arm was the Secret Service, so they wanted that to happen. Um, and so, you know, that conversation was happening about the time that I uh, walked in the lobby of the Secret Service. I actually handed a proposal uh, to the Secret Service in starting a computer crime division, and they hired me fairly quickly wow. after that. As like an 18, 20 year old kid? Yeah, I was 18. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Precocious. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I'm just looking at your profile. What is Operation Sun Devil? So Operation Tundal is essentially what started it. We wanted to make a pretty big name for ourselves, and so the goal was try to find and attract um, those people who were involved in serious credit card and toll fraud crime. And and back then, you know, there was no internet, right? It was all dial-up modems yeah. and bulletin board systems and all that. And so, um, you know, they were going after major players in the credit card uh, crime and and um, and the. Um, um, calling card uh, fraud. So we did that and then we also, there, at the time there was uh, um, there was two data communications companies, one called TimeNet, one called, uh, and one was Sprint and they had a network called uh, Telenet. Hmm. And they were global X25 networks. And so if you, were a, if you were a global defense company or a credit card company or banking company, that's the network that you connected to. And so we caught um, uh, the Legion of Doom and uh, Masters of Deception. Mm -hmm. uh, breaking into those networks and built cases against them as well as um, 30 other people in 25 states. And so, uh, secrets, you know, we, we, we created a bulletin board system um, 
we were accessing other bulletin board systems looking for people not not the not the kids who were just doing you know small time credit card fraud but the ones who were um, more organized the ones mm -hmm. creating a significant amount of fraud yeah um, and so um, we built a case of um, um, what thirty or so people twenty five states plus a case against uh, Legion of Doom and Masters of Deception, yeah, and um, and prosecuted. It looks like you you were only there for four years, so you did it pretty quickly. Yeah, you? yeah. Wow, that's a that's a pretty neat start to your career. And when <laughs> I was when I was you know messing around at a college, you were uh, you were out there putting people in jail. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. Yeah, and, well, and, and right after, I mean, right when Sun Devil um, finished, <coughs> excuse me, right when Sun Devil finished. Um, the Arizona Attorney General was uh, building um, a, a, a computer crime division, yeah. and so he invited me to to, to join that organization. And that's so when Sun Devil finished, that was your kind of your excuse to move on from Secret Service at that, yeah. at that point. Um, and and what did you do for the Attorney General? Uh, so I ran the state's evidence lab, hmm. and so um, all of the computer crime related evidence that would come in. Whether it was, um, well, so it, a fun fact, uh, at the time, there were, uh, there were more retired mafia bosses in Arizona than any other place in the nation. And so, and they would get so bored strange. out of their mind and they would launch, um, you know, online scams and drug running and, and huh. uh, you know, murder for hires and other things, but uh, anything that they did computer uh, crime related yeah, uh, you know, uh, went through uh, my uh, my lab. So <laughs> I'm not sure if you want to be the one putting all those mafia retired mafia dons in jail. Well, it's funny that it, it at at the attorney general's office was the first time I I had operational um, undercover uh, names. Oh yeah. And so uh, I had like five or six names that I used you know, for my personal use and business dealings and all that uh, when we were doing undercover operations. Uh, but um, I got to pick one. Okay. And I loved it. I got to, so my name, my undercover name was Gene Pool. Gene Pool. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be eliminated from the Gene Pool. Exactly. Yeah. And I had, a, I had a fake wife. Her name was Cecily or Cess Pool. Oh. And I loved it. It was, it was just so awesome. That's so terrible. <laughs> so uh, how long, it looks like you were there for a few years at the Attorney General's office? Yeah. yeah. And what, what caused you to leave there? Uh, so the attorney general was uh, Bob Corbin, and uh, <coughs> pardon me, he he lost the uh, re-election. Okay. The new attorney general um, didn't have a lot of affinity for the computer crime hmm. uh, section. Uh, didn't think that was the way of the future. Right. Uh, and and uh, closed. So I, I stayed on board for about six months because uh, I was the guy who was supposed to close all the cases. Okay. And so <coughs> we either transferred cases to the district attorney's office, um, or we closed them out entirely. So it was a complete uh, sort of shutdown of, mm. of um, and I, what I'd say is I, I worked for um, a prosecutor uh, by the name of Gail Thackeray, uh, who I thought was uh, pretty much a pioneer um, in the computer crime uh, era. So she started the first uh, computer crime addiction program. Um, and, uh, and so if someone was convicted of, um, uh, of a computer crime more than once, she would enroll that person in a computer addiction program and try to get them out of the sort of social environment of, you know, the internet underground and so yeah. on. Uh, and, um, you know, her, her quote that I love was, uh, and, and this was true at the time, 
Uh, but the quote that, that she had, which I loved, was, uh, we could stop computer crime in its tracks if we just convicted these guys to a girlfriend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Not the most politically correct thing to say, but, yeah, okay. But, um, you know, but, I mean, it was, it was uh, somewhat true of the, of the particular era, um, you know, back when computer crime was made up of, you know. Right. When, when you were th between 13 and 17 years old and you could break into Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, it was a virtual playground. It really wasn't for money at that point, right? right. It was it was for fun and kicks exactly. and, and friends. Yeah, interesting. All right, so move us forward. Uh, from there, I went to a company called uh, TimeNet. Okay. Um, and it was uh, when I got there, it was owned by McDonnell Douglas, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was a global X twenty five backbone. Like I said, if you if you were a global company, that was the network that you were connected to. Uh, and uh, Legion of, of uh, Doom um, had uh, fairly significant access to that network. Yeah. And so uh, we built a, um, uh, a, uh, a security organization, a cybersecurity organization, for the purposes of um, not only protecting the network from those sort of advanced threats, uh, but also tracking and, and getting enough evidence to be able to, to prosecute for the purposes of um, you know setting a fairly large visible example hmm. of why you wouldn't want to uh, break into a network like that. Yeah, and so um, you know that that sort of went in this huge sort of a progression of um, you know TimeNet was purchased by BT North America, which was then purchased by MCI, uh, and so on. But um, you know I sort of got my start in commercial large-scale network protection yeah. uh, at uh, TimeNet. Did you ever own one of the Captain Cr Crunch Whistles at that point? Uh, I have two. I have two <laughs> Captain Crunch Whistles. <laughs> uh, for, those, for those listening who may not know what we're talking about, could you, could you summarize what that was used for? Yeah, it, you know, back in, uh, uh, back in the day, um, you know, before the phone uh, switch was digital, when it was analog, uh, it used what's called in-band signaling to be able to administer all of the functions of the phone network. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, like know, the tones you hear when you push a, to a tone button phone, a push button phone. Yeah, you know, like when you dial and you, know, you, yeah. and you hear, the, you know, you hear all, all, the, all the, the tones behind the numbers, that, that's yeah. in-band signaling. And so it used to be that if you were an operator, um, you would have the same sort of line that everyone else would have access to, and your uh, sort of password was the tone that you generated to tell the network what to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a long distance overseas operator, you would uh, emit a specific tone and that would tell the phone network that uh, you get to have access to the long distance network. And, uh, and then the number of tones after that would be the number that you wanted to reach out to. Right. Well, it turns out that that, that tone was, uh, was 2,600 Hertz. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, uh, and there was a whistle that was provided in uh, Captain Crunch cereal, like a little toy yeah, prize a little, inside little the box, plastic uh, whistle yeah. that uh, emitted that exact frequency. <laughs> Just the funniest <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> so John Draper, uh, you know, who who became Captain Crunch, John Draper was uh, what's called a freaker. He was a phone hacker, mm -hmm. a freaker, and uh, he loved to sort of play with the phone network. And he happened to be talking to someone on the phone. He had the whistle in his mouth, and he blew it, and he heard a kerchunk and a dial tone, and he dialed a long-distance number, and he got to make free long-distance phone calls because the network thought he was an operator. Yeah. And, uh, and so the, 
the whole era of blue boxing and orange boxing and rainbow boxing, you know, creating, creating boxes that could artificially generate those tones right. uh, to pretend that you were an operator. And they had different operators doing different things. Um, that, that sort of exploded into toll fraud on the phone network as yeah. we know it. And it wasn't like today where, you know, we found the vulnerability, we could just go patch it. Uh, you know, I assume changing the infrastructure was monumentally or impossible, monumentally difficult or maybe even impossible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a physical replacement of phone infrastructure yeah. to go from in-band signaling to out-of-band signaling using uh, SS7. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there was, I remember we were doing investigations where there was still what's called a crossbar network where, you know, it, it simulated the operator plugging one one hole and plugging another hole to, hole to create a circuit yeah. between two people. And a crossbar um, network would do that. It would be these two little uh, plates that had um, those, those little hooks and they would pick up and move and, and connect. And uh, and so, you know, there, there were little cities and, and large cities that had to replace their entire network yeah. uh, to get out of... Um, billions uh, of dollars of cost. Yeah, billions the, of dollars yeah. of cost in, in phone fraud. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so you were you were at MCI. It looks like through about 1998. We, during that time, did you see an evolution of the the bad guys, the hackers, from being those you know 13 to 17 year old kids to being something more professional, or was that not you know for another decade or so? Um, I, I'd say it happened it happened um, fairly quickly. I mean, so so I I took a job. I was at TimeNet. Um, MCI purchased TimeNet. Um, and uh, uh, Vint Cerf, who ran the data division, uh, brought Vint me... Vint Cerf, the father of the internet. Vint Cerf, the father of the internet. He, he ran the MCI data division. He brought me to uh, Virginia and wanted me to... Um, and MCI just was awarded the contract to uh, be the first company to um, commercialize the internet backbone. So at, the, at that time, the U.S. internet network was operated uh, exclusively by, by U.S. government interests. Mm -hmm. And so MCI won the uh, contract to uh, get the first uh, public internet uh, yeah. bid. And so, um, and we ran the first, um, uh, you know, cybersecurity division of that public internet. So Vint, Vint brought me over. Um, and uh, so we had the X25 network that was slowly being uh, moved over to the internet. And then we had the internet network, uh, which was uh, based on a frame relay backbone. Yeah. And, um, um, and so we built um, you know, a, a global backbone in a very, very short period of time, less than a year. Mm. Uh, and, um, and, you know, we, we worked with a number of government agencies and, and with a number of research agencies to create some of those um, initial fundamental models about how to protect, um, you know, router infrastructure and DNS infrastructure and so on from, uh, from this sort of global uh, footprint. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what I'd say is the first handful of years of, of that was still, you know, the white noise was you know were were the uh, were the kids, right? And uh, just the the volume of attacks and and you know we we, we were pretty proud that we we could uh, audit our entire infrastructure every 24 hours, uh, but we were getting scanned every six seconds, right? And so. You know, they, they were finding uh, weaknesses in, in the architecture, uh, you know, long, you know, before we could. Hmm. Um, but, it, but it quickly transformed. I mean, I'd say within, within five years, we were battling organized crime syndicates who were trying to make as much money as they could yeah. uh, off of compromising uh, e-commerce sites and endpoints and, 
When, when do you say? When would you say it transformed into that you know, organized crime versus the the, <coughs> the kind of amoral hackers? Yeah, I'd say it went from from the hacker manifesto yeah. years yeah, yeah. Uh, to more organized crime. Uh, I'd say mid nineties. Okay, yeah, that is pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, there you know the the advent of DDoS attacks. I think in in my in my personal experience, uh, the advent of DDoS attacks. So DDoS attacks were used mostly for vandalism purposes and creating notoriety uh, of of the of the hacker era. Um, but bad guys saw that as a way of, of holding companies hostage mm. uh, pretty early on. And so we saw there was a DDoS attack at the time called a Smurf attack, yeah, which course. was a very popular DDoS attack at the time. We saw organized crime syndicates using uh, tools that they found off the Internet, you know, written by, written by kids, and then commercializing that in order to, uh, to, to ransom uh, e-commerce sites mm. uh, before they knocked them off the air. So it's um, been 20 plus years of ransom is what you're telling me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at MCI, we, we actually launched, uh, we, we released public domain tools that other backbones could use to trace um, uh, DOS attacks because, yeah. uh, you know, it was all forged IP address traffic at the time. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move forward. It looks like you were at MCI through about 98 or so. Yeah. What caused you to leave there and, and move on? Uh, MCI uh, was purchased by WorldCom. And uh, we sold, and as part of that deal, the government required that MCI sell its internet assets to cable and wireless. Hmm. Um, and so uh, the company kept uh, Vint with WorldCom and kept me with WorldCom. Okay. We, were the, we were the only two data assets that didn't get uh, sold okay. uh, off. Uh, so my job was to, uh, was to separate the company and then um, um, I worked for WorldCom for about a week and um, couldn't take it. <laughs> well, I mean, wh when did things go really bad? Was that 2001 that things that they got the front page of a bunch of newspapers? Yeah, and that was, yeah, I mean, not, I mean, a couple Ber years later. Bernie's management, so Bernie Ebers, who ran the company, his management style was, was, was um, uh, very involved and very direct. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and so we, we were changing policies like, you know, we, we had all the nice amenities that you that you would wanted in the break room, free coffee, free tea, and yeah. and uh, that was immediately gone. So, mm. um, and then if you were traveling to a city uh, at the same time that a colleague was traveling to a city, you both had to stay in the same hotel room. That's a common thing <laughs> among some tech startups these days. I, I wish it would die a, a horrible, a quick death. Horrible but, death, yes. But that is something that tech... Not ping identity if you're thinking about a new job. <laughs> don't worry, we don't make you do that. So uh, yeah, I just—it's just a culture and environment I, yeah. I couldn't, uh, just did not, not, did not work well for me. Okay. Uh, and so I moved on. All right. So you, and the, it looks like level three was next. So talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, so no, actually, it, what's interesting—I don't have this on my uh, profile. Yeah. Um, I I left WorldCom and went to Quest for a year. Okay. And so um, uh, Quest had just purchased. Uh, LCI, which was a, uh, a small regional <laughs> internet provider, uh, and so I worked out of Arlington um, and um, worked there for about a year, and uh, they wanted me to move to Denver, hmm. and so uh, I had a moving van in my driveway, and I had a um, uh, pregnant wife, and I went to uh, Denver to meet uh, Mr. Nacho. Yeah. Met 
Mr. Nacho for about an hour and walked out of his office and quit. <laughs> and it was, so it was pretty obvious pretty fast. It huh? was really pretty obvious uh, where he was headed. And so um, where he was headed was prison. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I got in my rental car and I drove to level three. Most of the MCI folks that I knew uh, were at level three. And so I uh, showed up unannounced, unsolicited at the front door wearing a suit and uh, uh, asked for a job and, and uh, was hired on the, on the spot. So Holy smokes. Called the wife and said, I got good news and I got bad news. You know, uh, bad news is I, uh, um, I don't have a job. Good news is I just got a new one and the moving van's going to the same location we thought it was going to just a few minutes ago. That's hilarious. So, so were, you hi were you hired in there as a chief security officer or did you work your way up to that? Or, or uh, no, so, so at the time, uh, I'd say Level 3 was a fairly traditionally structured uh, uh, telecom company. So they had a security organization for corporate and a security organization for, uh, for production. And so I took responsibility for the production um, side of the house. Okay. And so um, I don't, they, they didn't have an officially named uh, CISO uh, in the company. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until much later, um, you know, seven years or so. Right. Uh, that um, I had a proposal to combine all of that together, and um, and you know, and it saved the company uh, um, some money. But it also the the whole proposal was the bad guys were starting to look at us as a single threat landscape, and uh, we were still protecting ourselves as siloed based organizations. Yeah, and so um, we needed to start you know looking at um, our assets as as if it was a single threat landscape. And so that was the proposal to combine all those things together. Hmm. And so, you know, it's a pretty, it's a, I'd, I'd say it's not a, it's never a perfect decision, right? Because every company, you know, we, we were a pretty flexible security organization because we were embedded in the technology groups that we supported. Right. Um, and that had a, you know, a significant number of advantages. Now, the disadvantages is that it takes a lot of effort to be aware of the total landscape that you've got. Mm -hmm. And so um, if someone was trying to break into a production system, but they were trying to do it through corporate email phishing attacks, that required at least three groups to be talking to each other to make sure that they were aware that that was all going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, we combined it and then uh, I became the, uh, uh, the CSO because we also had physical security responsibility sure. as well. And, and you, you were there for a long time. It looks like you were there for about 18 years. 18 years, yeah. Uh, things have changed changed a lot between you know ninety nine and two thousand seventeen. Uh, talk to me. You, give me some examples. How, what are the biggest things you saw change at a company like that? Obviously, you guys grew a lot, but what were the big changes to the way things worked from a threat perspective, or uh, or your your job day to day? My job day to day. Um, <coughs> I'd say um, the biggest evolution that that uh, we really had to learn was um, how to become a business advocate. Mm. And, you know, what I'd say is, is you know, we, it, it became pretty painfully clear that, that you know, if, if you were approaching security from a, from a security academic perspective, right, you, know, you must have this length of password, otherwise, you know, the risk is too great. And then the company would say, no, we're not going to have all of our users type in a 28-character password. Are you kidding? Right. You go, okay, and then you accept the risk, and you know, I'm going to go back to the group and say, you know, the company said... Yeah. And you know we just we saw too much of a trend of of the company said mentality, mm -hmm. and so we uh, I changed the leadership team pretty substantially. Um, 
to go from more of a technical organization to more of a business leadership organization and uh, sort of talk to the company in terms that the company could understand. Yeah. Um, and, and so we ended up being our own risk advocates, right? We, we would evaluate um, the investment level and the, you know, what, what it would take to protect the company and how much it made sense yeah. based on the culture and the investment. And then we'd go to the company and say, you know, here's, here's what our peers are doing, here's what we should be doing, and here's what we think the investment cost is, and you know, here's your three options. Here's the academic option, Here's the, we just take the risk option and here's the option we think we should go with. Um, and that, that really transformed the way that we did security. Instead of, instead of us um, relying on you know, uh, management uh, to make investment decisions, um, you know, we were given uh, a lot more freedom in uh, being able to uh, employ whatever security measure we thought was appropriate because they knew that we were taking the business into account in that process. Yeah. So it gave us a lot more empowerment, uh, transformed us from a, from a victim mentality organization uh, to uh, a very empowered uh, organization, yeah. and really sped up the, the process of implementing and maturing security controls. Yeah, I, I, I think you just said some really great things, and I wanna spend a few more minutes talking about it, because I, yeah. I think it's, it'd be easy for folks to gloss past it. Yeah, I, I've. I've had the opportunity to run security at a few organizations. I haven't had 18 years at a place, so I've had a few more than you. <laughs> and, and I'd say that like the the way that when you get a bunch of us CISOs together, the general way we talk is saying something like, um, it's, a, it's a business decision, they need to make a risk, and people will talk about the form they created that someone's gonna sign to accept that risk. And hypothetically, before you've done it, it sounds like it makes sense. Right, and then you get into it, and you see what what you're creating by putting by operating that way, and you're creating an organization that they don't like, that they don't right. want to work with, and it, they don't want to work with you. You're not very effective. It's it's not serving their needs. Right. And end of the day, regardless of who you who you say is choosing to accept the risk, when the business looks to you and says, "Should we do this, Rob? Should we not do this, Drew?" You your answer is them how they decide the risk. Right, so stop pretending that they're the ones doing it. Be willing to admit, hey, I am, I am a part of that risk decision. Maybe I'm not the only part, but you're a big part of it. And for the, for 95% of the time, you are the one doing it. Then there's the 5% where you say, listen, we're just we disagree. Let's escalate it. Let's get to the point right. where somebody above both our pay grades can make, should make this call. Exactly right. I mean, I, I've worked in security organizations where the security group really has no idea the services and products and the customer base that the company themselves deal with. Yeah. They are there just to apply the security discipline yeah. on whatever widget, box, function, app, or piece right. of data they have. The same way they would do it in an accounting firm right. or in a manufacturing exactly. company or in a hotel. Like, exactly. It doesn't matter where they are, right? Exactly. So, you know, so ma making them aware of of the business of what products they sell and why they sell them what markets they're in and you know what customers they have and what what the concerns of those customers are um, really makes them more integrated with the business and be able to, to to speak business terms and so you know you you say you are you are a business leader in this organization your function is security yeah right and so those two things are sort of the position that you need to be talking from yeah. um, and uh, gives a lot more comfort to the business. Um, so you, you were there at, at Level 3 for a, a long time and did a lot of great stuff. I don't want to 
brushed it aside too fast. I want to give you a, a chance. Are, are there things you're most proud of having accomplished in your time there? Uh, I know you guys did a lot of work on I mean, after the Mirai botnet and doing, did a lot towards shutting that down globally. And, uh, and I'm sure you've done other really cool stuff. But what have you done there that you want to share with us? You know, I, I'd say the two things I'm probably the, mo the most proud of at, at Level 3 are two things. One is the team. Yeah. You know, we, we, we were able to build a really good uh, technical and management organization uh, that, uh, you know, again, was really integrated with the business, but was also able to, to really mature the program over time. So not only were we focused on all the fire drills of solving all the things that the business was doing very dynamically and quickly to create new products or... Um, you know, MacGyver things together to provide solutions for customers and try to figure out how to protect all that stuff. But we were also able to mature the program as well, right? So really, really important to, to you know, for the team to have a discipline of not only, you know, in that wind tunnel environment, but also take that step back and say, how do we make that control more, you know, more mature? How do we make it more automated? How do we yeah. get better at detecting? And so I think we did a really, really good job at that sort of maturity model, and, yeah. and um, I felt really good with that. And I think the other thing that, that uh, you know, I'd say probably the last five years or so of my time there, we really um, uh, focused on, on making the community better, mm. right? And so, you know, we were so focused on protecting, you know, our asset base and our backbone, uh, and, um, you know, we, we made a very conscious decision and we, and we went to executive leadership, we went to the board of directors and we said, we want to do things that are gonna make us a bigger target. Mm. We want to stop bad guys uh, proactively. Not, not just ones that are impacting our network, but ones that are impacting other networks and, and other customers who have nothing to do with our backbone. Mm. And so, um, you know, and, and, <coughs> and we don't wanna be too public about it. We don't want to, you know, we're not doing this to sell a product. We're doing this because we want to make the internet better. Mm. And so, you know, we want to we want to protect the brand of the internet. And so, uh, we got, you know, a su very surprising, but but um, very strong support for both the leadership team and from the board of directors. And so, we we started a campaign to uh, to uh, collect a. Um, uh, we, we were using NetFlow, right? So yeah. we. We were collecting NetFlow and um, uh, applying, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence uh, algorithms on it to look for, um, to to model the behavior of traffic and look for deviations in that traffic, as well as look for um, specific traffic uh, beha behavior of known bad guys, right. organized crime, nation states, and all that. And when when we'd see it, we would stop it, regardless of where that traffic came from. Some nation states are a little closer to home than others, right? <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I mean, we operated in quite a few countries, and so, you know, um, we we would be blocking traffic from a number of nation states that, uh, you know, we were yeah. rather close to. And yeah. so, um, uh, but, you know, but our, our goal was to, was to stop uh, bad traffic. Yeah. And so, I, you know, we, we did a really good job uh, at it. Uh, I'm, and they're still doing a very good job uh, at it. It didn't stop when I left, but... Um, um, that, those, those are the two things I'm probably yeah. the most proud about. That's great. So in early uh, 2017, uh, CenturyLink announced the intent to acquire Level 3. Yep. Um, and was it November of 2017 that that closed and, and you moved over to being a part of CenturyLink? And yep. You want to talk, it wasn't a very long stint. You want to talk about what happened there? And 
Uh, yeah, so we, we, we sort of split. Uh, so Dave, um, Dave Mahon, Dave Mahon uh, was the uh, chief security officer of CenturyLink. He remained the chief security officer of, of uh, CenturyLink. Uh, and so we, we sort of split the security function. I was the chief security strategist and I ran all the managed security uh, functions. Okay. So all the architecture, engineering, and the uh, operations are managed security uh, functions. Okay. So, you know, firewall and threat intelligence and That's what like Brent that. Wentworth was doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. Brent ran, Brent runs the, the security operations centers for the yeah. And that, we security. did have Brent on the show yeah. six months ago or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think he talked about his, his fish tanks for yeah, you know, 40 minutes. Yeah, salt water. <laughs> yeah. um, I love Brett, by the way. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm giving him a hard time. Um, but, uh, um, so I, I ran the managed security side. Uh, Dave ran the, the, the corporate yep. uh, security side. Uh, and shortly after um, integration was, um, or the, the, the combining of the companies was complete, uh, Dave uh, moved on. Uh, to a, a position outside the company, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I moved on to a position uh, outside yeah. the company. So, um, and that's how I uh, found my way to uh, Zale. Yeah, I remember we were all wondering in, during the integration which of you was going to end up being in charge, <laughs> and and then neither of you ended up sticking around. Yeah. So uh, I think we all lost money on that bet. Um, yeah. So you're at Zayo. I, you know, Zayo is a company that everyone should have heard of, but you're you guys are. You know, young enough, um, or, or at least you know the name recognition is young enough that people might not have, have heard of, of Zayo yet. So maybe just a high-level summary: what, what do they do? Yeah, so Zayo is a Boulder-based uh, telecommunications company. Yeah. Um, I'd say you know they're they're a, they're a full-range telecommunications company, meaning that uh, they do pretty much everything but voice. They, you know, uh, anything with fiber. Um, so a very large metro fiber footprint uh, globally. Um, and uh, and then they then they uh, deploy services on top of that fiber footprint. And so, we have um, uh, uh, colo uh, services. You know where we'll host. We'll provide the physical environment for uh, customers. We uh, there's a cloud or an enterprise environment where we have AWS like services where um, we'll provide compute and storage. Um, we offer internet services, uh, you know, waves, Ethernet, uh, you name it. So, so a pretty wide variety of transport services as a traditional telecom, uh, as well as enhanced services like managed security, uh, co-location, and compute storage. And which you guys grew mostly through acquisition, right? Yeah. What was yeah. the big Denver company that you guys acquired, the, 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 like the data center nearby that, I, that I'm familiar with? I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I could probably tell you before you asked me that question. Um, yeah, it, well, they, the companies had 48 acquisitions in wow. three years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of growth. So you came in as a chief security officer for Zayo, right? That's correct. And and are you the first uh, security officer there, or are you replacing somebody, or, or what? I'm, I'm the first security officer for the company. They, they, they have a security function today. Um, Zayo is a little different. Um, so there's Zayo Group, which is the parent company. Okay. And then um, there are different operating companies, self-contained operating companies underneath. So there's a, a fiber services division, there's an enterprise division, uh, there's a Zicolo division, um, and they have a they have a president and HR and mm -hmm. financial and the whole bit. And so uh, I work for Zayo Group, and uh, I protect uh, all of the sort of operating companies underneath. Okay. Um, 
and I'm doing things a little bit differently. I, I asked the company to indulge me in a bit of a social experiment. And so I, when I came on board, I also took on the uh, IT infrastructure. Uh, so I own the uh, corporate, um, the corporate data centers. Hmm. And, um, and then I also own uh, the corporate uh, network. Okay. So I've got the, the privacy uh, uh, function. Uh, I've got hmm. physical security. I've got logical uh, security. But I also have essentially uh, the uh, IT infrastructure and the corporate uh, network infrastructure. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely broader than you get for most CSOs out there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and I, I don't know if it's going to stay with with me uh, forever, but but uh, it's you know it's it's definitely you know the the the, the disciplines that you have to implement on top of an IT in, uh, infrastructure uh, for. Uh, inventory and uh, availability and confidentiality patch management. and patch management. Yeah. Those are all the disciplines that that uh, that the infrastructure team has to do anyway. Yeah. So I don't own the applications. Okay. Uh, there's the the actual IT organization owns all the applications that that reside on the systems. I just own the infrastructure. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so from a security discipline perspective, uh, it's it's great. There are no, um, you know. Um, conflicts and uh, discussions about um, you know, what what's right. best for the for the company. We're we've combined those interests together, mm. uh, and for the infrastructure side, it's great because um, they're able to lead through a discipline that that uh, they need to manage their infrastructure anyway. Mm. That's great. Uh, so, what are your biggest priorities there as you're building out a team? You've been there for four months. What, been there for four months. What, what, what are you prioritizing right now? Um, so, you know, I, I'd say everything at once. I mean, my, my primary objective is, has been uh, to assess, you know, so anytime that you land in a new spot, and of course it's been 18 years for me, so, I'm, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, anytime you land in a new spot, you know, the objective is understand the, the culture of the company, understand what makes the, the company operate from a business right. and, and tactics perspective, and then perform a risk assessment and yep. um, meld those two things together. Sounds right. Yeah. So you know, I, I spent a lot of time with the finance organization. You know, what what's the investment strategy of the company? What's you know the sort of run rate and where do you put money in? How forward leaning are they on investments? Um, what's the what's the 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 vocabulary the company uses when they want to do an investment? Making sure we're talking the same talk and building a business case the same way. Um, and then, um, you know, while you're doing that, you perform a uh, risk assessment, um, and then um, you uh, do a control assessment and a gap analysis and build a roadmap, and you yeah. know, off you go. And so, you know, um, <coughs> a lot of really good controls already in place. Um, you know, we're just prioritizing it based on risk. And so, you know, there were some places where they were investing a lot of resources and very little risk. Yeah, in some places where they were investing, you know, no resources and a ton of risk. Right. So just getting the right balance of that. Anything um, you're willing to share about priorities? The things that you really want to focus on next year or so? Um, so so you get too in depth, but you know, high level. Well, so so what I'll what I'll I'll say a few things. My my big thing right now is beyond Zao. It's it's industry related, sure. and I'm gonna I'm just gonna go. I'm going to be like the guy uh, in in his lawn shaking the cane uh, on this one. Yeah. But uh, um, you know, when I was at level three, we built a compliance organization, uh, okay. a governance, risk, and compliance function. Um, 
and uh, and the initial goal was to be able to answer customer questions about transparency of security, and then that turned into more of a formal governance, risk, and compliance uh, arm yep. to test the effectiveness of the controls and so on. Um, and so I'm doing the same thing here, and I'm dealing with a lot of the same customers, uh, and um, and I've and I've come to the conclusion that governance, risk, and compliance is broken because our customers force it to be broken, mm. and so. So here, here's here's my frustration, and this again, this is just my perspective, uh, as, as uneducated as it is, is that um, uh, in almost every other security discipline, for the most part, there are industry accepted practices that you could develop um, that uh, that assess what you need to do, and then provide guidance on what you should do, and provide guidance on the methodology in which you could do it and then provide guidance on the methodology to test the effectiveness of what you've done. Okay. Right? And the nice thing about that is depending upon the approach you could take, it could be somewhat independent of the guy who sits in the chair. Hmm. Right? How I'm building the program now, if I am not there, somebody else could come in and there's a relatively reasonable industry standards sure. approach to how we're doing things to where they could just take over and everything yeah. sort of resonates and makes sense. And, and that, that, that makes me feel good, right? It's no, it's no one's particular religion. Right. That, that is uh, dictating how things get done. Yeah. Uh, and so, same people sitting around the table, they'll, they'll have the same decisions made every, every time. When it comes to things like compliance, um, there are industry accepted um, you know, methods for uh, how to get security certifications and how right. to provide transparency. But um, in an organization, a telecommunications organization that serves a wide variety of industries, Every industry has their own requirements on right. what portal you use, how much transparency you provide, um, what the scoping of the uh, of the of the security certification you have, how much of that is acceptable to yeah. them, and there's no way to wash, rinse, and repeat in that in that field. There's no way to build a predictable model that satisfies the concerns of transparency right. to the industries that you deal with. Um, and then and you have very, very large financial institutions that are so um, practiced uh, at this function that it's a separate biological entity inside that yeah. company. Uh, and it's completely independent from a power decision process than any of the other organizations they have. And they, they run, they, they, they get to dictate and decide yeah. how much... Um, you know, security they get to have. And I'll give you an example, and I won't name who it was. We had a large financial company that decided we were a critical vendor. We, okay. were, we were providing waves, right? We weren't in possession of any of the data, but they said from an availability perspective, we are a critical vendor. And as a critical vendor, we have to abide by their security policy and their security controls at their risk level. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we had no choice, so we said, you know, yes. During that risk assessment, one of the findings, and there was, a, you know, there was uh, some findings, but one of the findings that, that I, I will walk away with the memory of forever was uh, they said, you do fire drills twice a year, and our requirement is you do fire drills four times a year. You have 30 days to implement a new procedure to do fire drills four times a year, or we will mark you as materially deficient. I mean, that is a broken process. It's a broken process. It has nothing to do with the security right of the company or the service we're providing right. or the risk they're taking. Um, and we had to implement fire drills four times a year. Yeah. 
And so... Um, How silly. It is it's very silly. And so I'm, I am on a campaign. I'm on a campaign to, uh, uh, to either um, complain about it until I'm exhausted and, and can go on to something else, or until that, that um, we can get agreement of, of, yeah. of creating a predictable model that people can follow. Yeah. Uh, that, I support you 100% on that. It's, <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, the, we can get you know things like the SIG and you know they're obviously like local company CyberGRX trying to offer some third-party assessment. But the problem is these big enterprises who just will take nothing but their own process. Yep. Um, it's it's going to make it tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are coming out, running out of time here. Um, I, I want to give you the chance. Is there any uh, anything else you want to share about you know your experience here in Colorado over the last 20 years or uh, the community you've been a part of. Anything else you want to you want to go into? Yeah, I mean, you know, quickly, I'd say I, I'm I'm really really impressed with with the growth of of not only technology uh, sector but the cybersecurity sector mm -hmm. in Colorado over the past 20 years. Um, when I got here, it was um, you know Webroot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and now I mean this Colorado is a beacon. It is right. uh, it's a model for for cybersecurity companies mm -hmm. and. Uh, so the growth has been explosive. What's nice about that is that there there is definitely a Colorado culture um, where you know people are a lot more open. They're a lot more cooperative. They're a lot more involved in the community, uh, and a lot more willing to share ideas and failures. I right. mean, you know, not only is it is it um, you know on the East Coast it was we we couldn't talk about vendors we used or you know, whether they were good or bad because we might be endorsing or you know vilifying them and we might be liable for taking market. It was horrible. It was a bad environment. But here, it's it's, you know, people really want to do the right thing for the right reasons to help the overall community, and yeah. I've been very very happy with that. That's been great. Yeah. Well, Dale, thanks so much for your time. I think we could have gone another hour here, but uh, we're running short on time. Maybe we can get you in 2019 and, and see what you've done and uh, hear about the awesome stuff you're doing there at Zale. Yeah, I'd love it. Cool. Yeah, thank All you right, very much. Thanks for your time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.